Um, praise be to God for this uh, wonderful day, the Lord's Day, on which our beloved Savior rose from the dead, because of which we have gathered here in the name of our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. What a joy it is for us to witness the second generation, we as parents and also you as spiritual parents of uh, Joy, Tina, and Joe, to witness the first generation getting baptized the last November, and uh, today they have become members of Ecclesia Evangelical Fellowship. So they are a great pioneering example for the rest of the children in the church. So we are glad at the same time we caution and encourage them to set yourself as a good examples to the rest of the generation that is going to follow your footsteps. And at the same time, you know, young people are greatly neglected in the church. Honestly, elders, in a sense, those who are adults, they don't invest in the lives of the young people. And um, we encourage you, brothers and sisters, please don't neglect the young people in our church. Speak the gospel, encourage them, and uh, ask them good questions that would help them to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't just think that it is just the responsibility of the parents, which we definitely emphasize. At the same time, the church also should invest in the lives of the young people so that they would grow in the knowledge and the fear of the living God. As we meditate on the scripture that is laid before us, shall we all look to the Lord and ask him to enlighten us, convict us, and transform us by the exposition of the word of God. Heavenly Father, we are so glad to come together as a church in the name of our beloved Savior who loved us and gave his life for us because of whom we have become one family of God. And Lord, at this time we pray as we meditate on your word, we pray for listening heart. Lord, in the past we used to pray Lord, you give us the obedient heart. But we are, we are living in a far more worse generation where far is the obedience, but listening itself is a big challenge because of the way the technology has ruined our minds. And we have become so addicted to short span attention, losing that long, deeper attention, focus, and concentration on the word of God. So we first pray a lot that you give us that long attention to listen to your word and as we listen to your word we also pray that your spirit would enlighten us convict us show us the glory and the beauty of our beloved savior jesus christ and we pray that you bring that deep inner radical complete transformation in us as we need sanctification pray for those who don't know you that through this word they would come to know the savior and Lord, who alone can save them from perishing in sin. Lord, we welcome the mighty, transforming, enlightening, penetrating work of the Holy Spirit in the midst of us to make us better people, conform us to the likeness of Christ, and uh, fulfill your sovereign will in our lives. In the name of our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ, we offer this prayer. Amen. Amen. Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, from verses 5 and 18. We have been looking into, the reason we have uh, read 5 to 18 is so that you can have the understanding of the context as we look into the word. We have gone through two parts so far, the first being, in his humanity, Christ became a little lower than the angels. We have seen this in Hebrews chapter 2 from verse 5 through 8. And then in the second part, we have seen that second factor, Christ suffered death to taste death for us in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9. And then we have seen the third factor, Christ suffered death to bring us to glory. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10. <clears throat> and then we have seen Christ suffered death to become perfect through suffering, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10. And then we have also seen Christ in his humanity and suffering united God's children and became our elder brother, Hebrews 2, 11 to 13. And then we have also seen the last factor in the last sermon, Christ suffered death to destroy the devil, 
and the fear of death. Hebrews chapter 2 from verses 14 to 15. <clears throat> those who have not listened, those sermons are available on Sermon Audio. Please to listen so that you can grasp the context and allow the Spirit of God to work in our hearts. And today we will be looking at Hebrews chapter 2 verses 16 to 18. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 16 to 18. My seventh factor from this verse is that Christ suffered death to become a merciful and faithful high priest to make propitiation for our sins. And that is what we look at Hebrews chapter 2 from verses 16 to 17. Shall we all lift up our voices and read this scripture together? For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. You know, when you look at this uh, 14 and 15th verses, what is interesting is that, 14th and 16th verse, it is very interesting that the scripture speaks about the significance of Christ's humanity. Twice it is mentioned in this brief passage, the significance of the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see this in Hebrews 2.14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, himself likewise in the same way partook of the same things. Since we humans have flesh and blood, he also partook in the humanity, putting on flesh and blood upon himself. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 16 also confirms that. Therefore he had to be made like his brother's in every respect. That word every respect is important because it speaks about that Jesus became fully partaking in flesh and blood. This speaks about the full humanity of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are living in a generation where the deity of Christ is more challenged than the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the first century, the humanity of Christ Jesus was a big challenge because of one false teaching, heresy called Gnosticism. The heresy of Gnosticism. This is how the heresy of the Gnosticism claims. Spiritual salvation was of preeminence to the Gnostics because they thought the human spirit was naturally good. And was entrapped or imprisoned in the body. Which was naturally evil or merely an illusion. Illusion. They saw Jesus as a messenger bringing the special knowledge of salvation to humanity's imprisoned soul. They believed that when Jesus came to earth, he didn't possess a body like our own. Observe that. Instead, the Gnostics thought that he only seemed appeared to have a physical body known as the heresy of docetism from the Greek word to sin. This was a denial of the Christian doctrine of the incarnation, the belief that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. This is a problem, this was a problem in the early Christianity that they saw body as evil and the soul, and soul as good. And the soul was entrapped in the body. So Jesus came to deliver this soul from the sinful body. Salvation is mostly about the deliverance of soul from the body. If Jesus had come to deliver soul from the body, how could he put on this sinful body? A lot of Christians today also believe that the body is sinful. But that's not the Bible speaks about, the Bible in fact speaks to believers that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The body is not evil. It is the sinful nature and passions 
that are evil using the body for its gratification for this reason we see that in 1 john chapter 4 from verses 1 to 2 there is a warning over here about the false teachers in the first century it makes more sense when you read this in the historical cultural context 1 john 4 1 to 2 says here beloved do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from god for many false prophets have gone out into the world but this you know the spirit of god how hear this every spirit that confesses that jesus christ has come in the flesh is from god every spirit every person the spirit here is a symbolizing person every person that confesses that jesus is fully human is from god any person who denies that is a false preacher and a teacher and that is very much relevant to the first century but today we can say that every person who denies that jesus is fully god and fully man is not from god this also points us to the reality which is important for us to know i believe that uh, this is very important for us because when i became a newly born again christian in the at the age of 19 in 1996 I remember having a conversation with few young people and I was a bright new Christian I didn't know what to speak and as I was talking to them they were convincing me that God has flesh and blood he is a human body because of which the bible says Genesis 1 26 to 27 that God has made us in his own image so we have the body and that shows that God is also having the body and also couple of scriptures that say that in psalms and other passages that at his right hand or he keeps his eyes on people he keeps us under the arms so all these languages they are convinced that god is having a physical body and they were convincing me of the same thing and at the time i didn't know the understanding of the anthropomorphic imagery that is in human terms god is explained so that we can understand and the other thing that i didn't know that now it's very clear that if jesus already had flesh and blood what's the point of incarnation because it says here that it is in his incarnation that christ took flesh and blood which obviously speaks to us that he had no flesh and blood before his incarnation it is in incarnation that he partook of the same thing and that is what we see in hebrews chapter 2 verse 17 therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect fully human he has become so in his incarnation but why did he become a human the bible tells you that that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of god to make propitiation for the sins of people he had become human so that he would become a high priest it is very important for us to know here and what is interesting when we see in hebrews chapter 1 also it says that he propitiated for the sins of people but it is for the first time in the entire book of hebrews if you have gone through the whole book of hebrews 13 chapters you see that one great argument that the author was making is that christ is the high priest we will look into it more deeply when we come to those passages but what is intriguing here is that the word high priest was applied to christ for the first time here and then he builds the argument in the rest of the chapters we see here that the bible declares it was necessary for christ to become human fully human in order for him to become our high priest and in describing that christ is our high priest the bible highlights two attributes and what are the two attributes it says that he has become a faithful and merciful high priest in the service of god the first thing that we see here it says that he became a merciful high priest now what is the meaning of mercy here when the bible tells that he became 
a merciful high priest. Do you remember the good Samaritan story in Luke chapter 10? What do we see there? A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho and on his way he was assaulted, attacked by a mob. And these people beat on him and they robbed him and they left him half dead. And when he was dying there on the ground, we see that a priest comes, but he ignores and goes ahead. And then we see a Levite comes. He too ignores and goes ahead. Now these are the most religious people of the first century. But they were merciless, no compassion, and just left. And then a forbidden man called, we don't even know his name. It is like saying Hyderabadi. Samaritan, Hyderabadi. Samaritan woman was, uh, man was uh, walking by, and we don't know his name. And when he saw this person lying half dead, the Bible declares that he had compassion on him. And then he took him, bound him, and he applied some medicine, took him to the inn, and told those people to take care of him. And if there is any money required, I want to pay him back. And then Jesus asked this man who asked him the question, who is my neighbor? Who do you think is my neighbor? And the person, you know what he replied? The one who had mercy on him. Now what does mercy mean here? It shows that compassion. It's not just a mere feeling of pity that you have towards people. No, that is a deep compassion that drives you to do something for the person who is in trouble. Mercy is helping the helpless. Now, Bible declares that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible declares here that Christ has become our merciful high priest, which means he did not leave us in our sinful state. He did not condemn us, which we deserve in our sinful state. While he saw that we have been sinning, rebelling, denying to believe in God, denying his commandments, denying the standards he laid for us, living a selfish, self-indulgent, selfish life, God had compassion on us in Christ Jesus. So when the Bible talks about that Christ is our merciful high priest, it means that Christ had mercy on our sinful state and he did not abandon us, forsake us in our sinfulness. And the Bible also says that Christ is a faithful high priest. Why does the Bible say that Christ is a faithful high priest because he is not only the merciful one, he faithfully, you know, faithful is the one who sticks from the beginning to end loyal to his master. The one who begins well and doesn't end well, you won't say he's a faithful person because faithfulness carries loyalty from beginning to end. And here the Bible says that Christ became a faithful high priest, which means he accomplished the work of salvation on the cross despite cruel suffering he underwent. He did not give up his mission. He did not waver back from the calling the Father has given him to die for the sins of people. He was faithful from the beginning to end despite of the cruel suffering he underwent. We know that Jesus felt very fragile before he went to the cross. We know the lovely prayer and he offered out of his agony. What did he pray to the Father? Father, if it is possible, take this cup away from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. It speaks about he became a faithful high priest because he knew that if he had not died on the cross, if he had not gone to the cross, people will perish in sin. There is no salvation and he sticked on being faithful to the divine mission. You know, one of the great temptations I have seen that Christ faced is in Matthew chapter 27, 40 to 43. Matthew 27, 40 to 43. Just see the temptation he faced and how faithful he was to his divine mission, not giving up while he was hanging on the cross, going through pain and agony. 
going through every pinch of the pain on the cross. The blood was oozing out. His body was plowed like a field. And he was just hanging there in deep, deep pain. Hear these words. These people were saying, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. You come down from the cross and we believe in you. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. Just imagine people, the temptation, they are telling, come down. Prove yourself that you are the son of God. We will believe in you. You have been here convicting us, telling us that I am the son of God. We did not believe in you. But now you come down from the cross and we will believe in you. Just imagine people, if Jesus had come down from the cross, no one might have gone to heaven. No one might have been reconciled to God. No one might have received the forgiveness of sins. In this intense, pressurizing temptation, Christ was faithful. He did not waver back from the commitment he made to the Father that he will pay the price. And why did he become a merciful high priest? Why did he become a faithful high priest? We look at today here that so much of the prosperity gospel goes on saying that he became so, so that you can live a healthy life. He became so, so that you can live a comfortable life. He became so, that you can live a wealthy life. But you see here what it says, why did Christ become a merciful and faithful high priest? Why? It says here that he might become a faithful and merciful high priest in his humanity. In the service of God. What is the reason? Shall we all read that? To make propitiation for the sins of the people. To make propitiation for the sins of people. I really appreciate English Standard Version, ESV, for using the word propitiation. Because if you understand what's going on, the debate behind that, it's very intriguing. There are three words that we see that is going on in the Christendom today. There is a great debate. There is one word that is called expiation. Expiation means it refers to the washing away of sins. Of course, Jesus did die to wash away our sins, which speaks about forgiveness of sins, to cancel our debt so that we can receive forgiveness of sin. And there is another word that is used, atonement, which is very popular and familiar. And it refers to the process of reconciliation. When relationships are estranged, separated, strained because of some conflict, atonement is paying a price so that this estranged relationship, this conflicting relationship would be in peace. And nobody denies that. Christ died, atoned for our sins on the cross so that we can reconcile with God, so that we can receive the forgiveness of sins, so that our sins can be washed away. But you know what is the problem? The problem is the third term, a lot of people find it difficult to understand and accept. And you know what is the word? Propitiation. Will you all repeat this word? Propitiation. Propitiation means it refers to the turning aside of divine wrath satisfying the divine justice. The Bible reveals that yes, God is a God of love. Nobody denies it. But since he is also the God of holiness, he hates sin with absolute hatred. Because people's minds are corrupted and they only think about showing love without holiness. They only think about showing compassion without justice. They only think about being kind without righteousness. In today's emphasis on love, kindness, gentleness, patience, compassion, there is no righteousness, justice, holiness, and godliness. But that's not the love that God is having. God is a God of love and God 
is a god of holiness and in his holiness he was filled with righteous indignation against sinners against sin and at the same time he loved us and he wanted these sins to be propitiated which means in Christ dying on the cross he removed the wrath of god that was looming over sinners he satisfied divine judgment so many people don't like this word because the world doesn't like it the world and what is happening is that instead of upholding the standards of the word of god the church today wanted to please the world lower down the standards of god in order to impress the world so if you tell that christ died on the cross so that he can remove the wrath of god from people it would give a very negative impression to the world so tell them that god is love and the famous verse that we see is that john chapter 3 verse 16 almost everyone knows that and that is very familiar and that is a verse we often use it god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life very impressive scripture is that but these scriptures like he died so that he can remove the wrath of god from us is not impressing to the world people listen to this carefully we are not called to please the world we are not called to impress the world we are called to speak the truth to the world in love even if they hate it never ever lower the standards of who god is god is a god of love and god is a god of holiness jeevan and i didn't know that this is what i would be bringing it up he was led by his spirit i was led by my spirit but we were both speaking the same thing that when this song came one of the reasons we put that song in the singing today in christ alone because there was a long debate that went on behind behind this and this was even posted in the secular newspapers and news in usa today the washington post and the economist which are very popular news medium and this is what has been written there the committee putting together a new presbyterian church usa hymnal dropped the modern popular modern hymn in christ alone because the songs author refused to change a phrase about the wrath of god they removed it completely from their hymnal from their songbook the original lyrics say that on that cross as jesus died the wrath of god was satisfied right on that cross as jesus died the wrath of god was satisfied they hated it what are you talking about what impression that is give to the world but they ignored that in the first in the same stanza the love of god and the righteousness of god was also mentioned at the same time the wrath of god was satisfied is mentioned so the presbyterian committee on congregational song wanted to substitute the words the love of god was magnified the love of god was magnified the songs author denied they didn't want to drop it to please the people they rejected and because of that the song was rejected but you know still god honored that song and timothy george has written a very 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 powerful book which is the theology of reformers a very huge academic book the theology of reformers timothy george he said that despite all this rejection that has happened he said that the hymn is well on its way to becoming the amazing grace of this generation hallelujah this is this is a hymn that is going to become the amazing grace of this generation and god did honor it just look into this passage people how the love of god and the wrath of god were simultaneously mentioned in this one passage romans 5 8 to 10 romans 5 8 to 10 shall we all lift up our voices look into this scripture and read congregationally but god shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners 
Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. In this one passage we see a paradox. We see that enigma, the conundrum that is, seems difficult for us to accept, but that is a reality. And what does it say here? The love of God. It is not that God was angry and Jesus came in the middle and said that, Hey God, Father, please hold your anger. I would like to satisfy your divine justice. Please. It's not that the nature of the Father was different, which is angry. And the nature of the Son was different, which is compassionate. And sinners were hard pressed between them. What to do? Shall we face the wrath of God or receive the mercy of God? No. And that's the reason the Trinity says that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three equal in essence, in character, in attribute. If the Father is compassionate, the Son is also is compassionate. The Spirit also is compassionate. If the Father is righteous and holy, the Son also is righteous and holy. The Spirit is also righteous and holy. And the Bible tells you that God showed His love. While we were still sinners, not any worthiness in us that God should love us. We were ugly, sinful, perverted, right from the top to bottom, right from the external to the internal. The Bible tells that God showed his love for us by sending his son to propitiate for our sins. And you see here that much more shall we be saved by Christ from the wrath of God. You know what is very strange? You know what is very strange? A lot of people think that Christ saved us from sin, which is indeed true. Christ saved us from going to hell, which is in fact true. Christ saved us from the power of Satan, which is undeniably true. But what many people don't know is that God saved us from himself. God saved us from himself, from his wrath, because of the sins he committed. On the cross, dear brothers and sisters, understand, the love of God was absolutely demonstrated by satisfying the justice of God. The love of God was absolutely demonstrated by satisfying the justice of God. If God had just forgiven our sin without showing his justice, we would call God as a God of love, but not a God of holiness. If God had executed his justice and not thought about saving us, he would be a God of holiness, but not a God of love. But on the cross... He manifested his love by sending his son to die for our sins. Where at the same time, he satisfied the justice of God by taking our curse, our punishment, our wrath. That God's wrath was there on us upon himself and he died and rose from the dead. Al-Mahrar, one of the great theologians of our time, says here that, Propitiation stands at the very heart of the gospel. You cannot remove it, people. It stands at the very heart of the gospel. The logic of propitiation makes the good news good. Without propitiation, there is no gospel. Without propitiation, there is no gospel. That was a time that 16th century underwent. They were fearing the wrath of God. And the Roman Catholic Church took advantage of it saying that if you die in your sin, you will go to purgatory. And there you will suffer. And if you pay money, if you do good works here in their name, they will be coming out of purgatory. The fear of the wrath of God was, was looming over all people in the 16th century. In fact, Martin Luther thought that if he climbs on the stairs by knees, God will have mercy on him and he will forgive him. They didn't have the understanding of the mercy, the love, the compassion of God. But today, you know what is the problem? They don't have the understanding of the wrath of God, the justice of God. 
The emphasis on love, compassion. If you believe in God, God will give you a good job. If you believe in God, God may heal you. If you believe in God, you will have a prosperous life. It's all about earthly benefits. It's not about sin. It's not about repentance. It's not about God saving us from the wrath that was upon us. People listen to this carefully. Without this propitiation for our sins, without Christ dying on the cross, propitiation for our sins, all that the Hebrews chapter 2 was, uh, all these verses speak about, nothing would come to fruition, fulfillment. For example, there is no world to come. Chapter 2 verse 5 says that we are all waiting for the world to come, the new heavens and the new worlds. There wouldn't have been the world to come if, did, if Christ did not propitiate for our sins. There is no bringing many sons to glory. We have lost that glorious position when Adam and Eve sinned. But Christ has died so that he can restore the glory in us. There is no bringing of many sons to glory according to Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10. There is no sanctification without the propitiation of Christ according to Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11. There is no calling us as brothers, family of God. We would have been enemies of God if Christ did not propitiate for our sins. There is no destruction of the devil if Christ did not propitiate for our sins according to Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. There is no deliverance from the fear of death if Christ did not propitiate for our sins. It is so crucial people the gospel. Propitiation. That every moment of the day you can just say that Lord I thank you for what you did for me on the cross. And now I would like to mention something as I go to the last factor. If there is any unbeliever over here who is not a child of God, who is not a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to tell you plainly what the Bible says with humility, that you are in sin and there is no hope for you. After your death, there is only eternal destruction. Someone said that. It is after being born here you have come to know there is a world. It is after you die you will know that there is another world. There is another world. Eternal destruction for all those who haven't believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we see here scripture that God so loved the world. He loved you. He sent his son to die for your sins. And if you reject this only savior who can save you, who else will serve you, save you? You are eternally hopeless and in despair. And I plead with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin. Turn to the only savior. You know the loneliness, the emptiness, the lostness, the dissatisfaction and the bondage of sin that you are in. Come to Christ. Give your life. And all those believers, I want to tell you, never Lose the sight of the cross. What he has done for us. Every day, every moment say, Lord, I thank you. Let us sing the gospel. Let us preach the gospel. Let us meditate on the gospel. Let us be excited whenever we hear the gospel. Because it is only that God loved us and laid his life for us. That we have this glorious privileges in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we come to the final verse, let's see what Hebrews chapter 2 verse 16 says. The last factor of the last chapter. Christ suffered death to identify himself to human suffering and help us in our temptation. Christ suffered death to identify himself to human suffering and help us in our temptation. Hebrews 2.16 says... For surely it is not angels that he helps. He helps the offspring of Abraham. Which means the offspring of Abraham here is Jews and Gentiles who through faith in Christ have become children of Abraham. Do you remember the promise Genesis 12? I will make you the father of many nations. He didn't say one nation which is the nation of Israel. He says many nations. Which is Jews and Gentiles. And that promise has come to fruition, completion only in the gospel. It is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, both Jews and Gentiles become the family of God. Which also speaks that they became the family and the children 
of Abraham. And you know what it says, what is interesting here is, it is not the angels that he helps. In fact, angels doesn't need any help. It is we who need help because we have sinned against God. We have become object of the suffering. And it says here that he helps us in our suffering. You know, in Greek, the word helps, what is interesting as I was studying is, it literally means he takes hold of his children. He takes hold of his children. Now listen carefully. This is our only hope. I was talking to a person recently, two days ago, as I was talking to him. I asked him that, do you believe in Christ? And he said, yes. And I asked him another question. Do you believe that you will go to heaven? He said, if I live a good life, I will go to heaven. And I told him honestly, you will never make it to heaven. <laughs> you don't know the gospel. You don't know what Christ has done. You will never ever make it to heaven by your good works. It is only by the grace of God. It is only by the mercy of God who has saved us and keeps sustaining us. Yes, we must make every effort to live a godly life. But our confidence is not in our works. It is not in our labor. It is not in our efforts. Our confidence is that God is able to bring his work of salvation to completion. That is the confidence. Every person who is shaking in the faith. One question that I ask is whether in sin or whether in suffering. One question that I ask them is do you believe that God is able to lead you victoriously? Every person says no. That's obvious. Their faith is also weak. It is only in the ability of God. And the Bible says here that he will hold us fast till the end. I don't know how you felt when you were singing. That's the reason we had this song today. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. It is not I will hold him fast. Which is absolutely true in our responsibility. But our holding him fast comes out of the confidence that he holds us fast. If there is no confidence that he will not hold us fast, you cannot hold him fast. Your efforts only produce by who God is. And what he does in your life. And he will hold us fast till the end. And that is the reason the author of Hebrews is encouraging the people here and also us here in the modern 21st generation. Hold fast to Christ because Christ is holding you. Don't turn away from him. And it says in verse 18, shall we all read this together? The final verse of chapter 2 verse 18. Shall we all lift up our voice and read this victorious, filled with hope and encouragement verse. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He himself has suffered. He knew what temptation was in his flesh, in blood. He knew what temptation was in his humanity. He suffered. It's not that he just had intellectual knowledge of suffering he had also empirical experience of suffering why did jesus suffer temptation according to these words he suffered temptation because he was a human becoming a human by default makes you a person of temptation and suffering job says that man is born for a few days yet full of troubles man is born for a few days Yet full of troubles. And the reason he also suffered temptation is to model victory over temptation. He suffered as a human and he modeled victory over temptation. Look at me. I was like you. Even I suffered what you are suffering. But I did not waver in my faith. I was victorious. What I was you can become. Christ also suffered temptation not only to model people. Now this is a great encouragement for us. The Bible says here, he suffered temptation so that he can also help us in our temptation. Do you think it's a great encouragement for us? To know that Christ suffered. And he also knows that we are suffering temptation. And he's not just there looking and telling, hey Stephen, don't commit adultery. Hey, Ajay, don't be proud. 
Hey, Brittany, don't be discouraged. He's not just there giving commandments. He partook in humanity. He shared in the flesh and blood and he underwent everything we are going through now. And now listen carefully. He is able to help us. He is able to strengthen us. He is able to be with us in our suffering and temptation and lead us through victoriously. He is our counselor and comforter. The very temptation he had underwent on the cross was a great suffering people. None of us had gone through. People listen to this carefully. None of us have been tempted to the extent we should be tempted. And none of us are suffering to the extent we can suffer. But Christ suffered temptation and suffering to the depths of it. And yet he was without sin. And there is a great encouragement here saying that because he himself has suffered when tempted. Now he is not suffering temptation. Why? Because he is in his glorious state. Because he rose from the dead. He is seated at the right hand of the father. Now listen to this carefully brothers and sisters. You and I also will reach a glorious state where you will not have any temptation. How many of us are here thinking that when this suffering will end? When these temptations will end? How many of you are thinking like that? When people ask me, brother, when will you become healthy? How long will you suffer? And I tell them at the time of glorification. Until then, we have to fight. But Christ is there to help us. You know, one of the irritating response that I hear, irritating response when I hear, when I call the customer service, you just call and say anything. Even without listening, they say that, I understand, sir. How many of you get irritated when, when, when this? And that too, very casually, coldly, they say, I understand, I understand, I understand. Everything is, oh, sorry, I understand. And you know that they were empty words. It is not true compassion. And listen to this carefully. Christ is not showing compassion like a saying, I understand your temptation, Stephen. I understand what you're going through, Stephen. He's not a customer service executive who loosely oozes out compassionate words. No. He himself has known what temptation is. He himself had known what suffering is. And it says here that he, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Alexander McLaren, who was a Scottish preacher, you know, when uh, Catherine was giving her testimony, I was reminding that, my goodness, after seeing Hobbit, after many years I'm hearing an accent, British accent. Because we hear only American accent, but uh, if you have seen Hobbit, one of my favorite children movies, beautiful, you can see that, rich British accent. And um, Alexander McLaren was a Scottish Baptist pastor, 1826-9010. Now listen what it says. How deep and beautifully these words are put. Comfort drops, but coldly from lips that have never uttered a sigh or a groan and for our poor human hearts. What he's telling is, the person who doesn't know what suffering is, the person who doesn't know what temptation is, coldly encourages. You know, some of us maybe have faced it when people say, I understand what you're going through. I know the pain that you're going through. I'm very afraid, actually, when I use the word, I understand, I know, because I know how frustrating it is when I hear from others. Maybe you can say a glimpse of it, a drop of it, maybe. But it says here that, it comes coldly from the one who doesn't know what suffering is. We need a Christ who can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities before we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Assured of their finding grace in time of need. What he says is we need a savior who knows what temptation is. Who knows what suffering is. Then we know who he is that drives us to boldly come to the throne of grace. Because we know that he understands, he empathizes and he is able to help us. I want to ask you some questions as I bring it to close. Do you find it hard to follow God's will which invokes suffering? Do you know how hard it is to live according to the word of God? You know how hard it is to live according to the will of God? Sometimes you may say that. I was recently telling Lord, it's enough. I, I can't live this way. It is not in my ability to live a consistent life that the word of God speaks about. I was almost giving up. But here is a great encouragement. 
my savior our savior who himself has faced the crisis of faith in his life and he said in Luke 22 verse 42 father if you are willing remove this cup from me this suffering from me the wrath that is about to face remove O lord but he said that nevertheless not my will but yours be done what a great savior do you know do you have immense physical and emotional pain and suffering do you have it you know many people have so much pity on me because of the two years of uh, cervical spondylosis acute cervical spondylosis and uh, vertigo and then fissures and piles from top to bottom actually i used to say that top is spondylosis and you know where hemorrhoids is so to bottom i know what suffering is but let me tell you it is nothing compared to what my beloved savior had gone on the cross that intense physical pain you know the english word which is called excruciating many of us don't know the word excruciating which means extreme pain it literally means out of the cross you have suffered so much as if a person on the cross suffers it is the ultimate pain that a person can go through if you understand what suffering is if you don't know what suffering on the cross i encourage you to read lee strobel's um case for christ yes you read that there is a chapter you would be falling on the floor and crying my goodness what christ suffered he understands what it is when you suffer physically in sickness do you face rejection and humiliation from people christ knew that isaiah 50 verse 6 says i gave my back to those who strike we strike them back right you are very good eye for eye tooth for tooth bible says i gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard i hid not my face from disgrace and spitting he knew what rejection is he knew what humiliation is he knew what it is not to be loved by people and mistreated by people and the bible says he is able to help those who are suffering do you feel betrayed do you feel betrayed luke 22:4 says that he had a great betrayer it says judas iscariot went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them close associate one among the 12 went and sold off the lord jesus christ for 30 shekels you know there are couples who knows what betrayal is when someone has extramarital affair there are friends who knows what betrayal betrayal is when they are betrayed by their own friends by your own siblings by your own relatives by your own friends the bible says christ knew what it is to undergo betrayal do you suffer under the temptation of satan christ knew it people matthew 4:1 says he had gone through severe oppression and temptation then jesus was led up by the spirit of god into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil he knew what oppression is the temptation is and how difficult it is to conquer it but he conquered and he is able to help us in our own suffering do you feel alone in suffering your wife doesn't understand you your husband doesn't understand you your children doesn't understand you your church doesn't understand you your friends doesn't understand you your relatives doesn't understand you and you feel i'm all alone listen to this mark 14:50 and they all left him and fled peter who made a heroic statement everyone leaves i am not going to leave heroic left sometimes we know what loneliness is we are among the people but we are lonely we are surrounded by the crowd yet we are alone christ says i know that and another thing you know more than any other abandonment how terrible frustrating how cry critical it is when we feel i say the word feel abandoned by god himself in our suffering we are suffering we pray our prayers are not answered we suffer and god is not coming to help us jesus knew what it is mark 15:34 as he was hanging in pain on the cross he says and at the ninth hour jesus cried with a loud voice 
Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which in Aramaic means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did you forsake me in this pain? Why did this happen to my family? Why did this happen to my job? Why did this happen to my temptation? Why did this happen to my friends and relatives? Why did you abandon me? Where are you? Are you there? Are you listening? I'm crying out to you. I'm going through pain. Do you have any compassion on me? Jesus felt it. He had to be silent, the Father, for the salvation of people, for the good of people. And the Bible says, the silence of God is a blessing for us, people. The silence of God is a blessing for us. Do you face unjust suffering? 1 Peter 2, 21-24 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. He was unjust in his suffering on the cross. Some people say that, I can take it if it is just suffering. Unjust suffering, who will bear it? Look to the cross. Do you think it was just for him to die on the cross? Do you think it was just for him to be persecuted on the cross? No. He faced unjust suffering for whose sake? For your sake and my sake. He faced unjust suffering. And finally, do you feel helpless in suffering? Do you feel helpless in suffering? Shall we all read Hebrews 2.18? For because he himself has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. He is able to help us. Look to him, people. Your salvation doesn't come from anywhere except from the Lord. And when the Bible says that he helps us in our suffering, it doesn't mean that he saves us from facing suffering. He saves us helps us to face suffering courageously. He doesn't want to make us escapists. All other religions may be speaking about, come, you will become an escapist. No, Christ is not interested in making coward disciples. He's not interested in making us escapists. He wants us to face suffering. In his mercy, sometimes he will deliver us. And sometimes in his mercy, he helps us to go through it with courage and we can trust in him that Christ is able to sustain us. I want to close with this quotation from the great Baptist preacher of the 19th century, C.H. Spurgeon. Hear this what he says. Christ has conquered every foe, enemy that obstructed the way. Cheer up now, you fainted, faint-hearted warrior. Not only has Christ traveled the road, but he has slain your enemies. Do you dread sin? He has nailed it on the cross. Do you fear death? He has been the death of deaths. Are you afraid of hell? He has barred it against the advent of any of his children. They shall never see the gulf of perdition. Whatever force may be before the Christian, they are all overcome. Why? Because Christ has become a human, propitiated for our sins, and is able to help us. So we all stand and pray. The worst thing is not that we are helpless. The worst thing is we don't cry in our helplessness. Cry out to God, people. Thanking him first that, Lord, thank you that you have propitiated for our sins. So that we need not face eternal doom. Cry out to God, the Lord, you help me in my suffering. I can't bear it. I can't face it. I can't go through it. Help me, O Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your cross, for your deaths, 
for your resurrection, for your comfort, for your presence, and all the suffering that we go through. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the message. We believe you have been greatly encouraged in your heart. Stephen David also writes articles that are relevant to today's generation. You may read them on his blog www.messageforourage.blogspot.com I repeat www.messageforourage.blogspot.com You may also email him at cstephendavid at gmail.com I repeat c-s-t-e-p-h-e-n-d-a-v-i-d at gmail.com Grace and peace be to you.